0: It is good to see you. It is good to be back with you. My name is Jeremy. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And I'm so thankful for Pastor Tom stepping in last minute for me last weekend as I was not feeling well and slept most of Saturday and actually stayed awake during church in the morning on the live stream uh, because I'd just i go to one chair and I'd fall asleep and I'd go to another chair and I'd fall asleep. That was all day Saturday for me. Just not feeling well. But grateful to be back, feeling great today and grateful to open up the scriptures with you. Uh, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 32. And as you do that, just a couple of, of, of quick add-ons to what Jay said. The first thing is, is he told you a lot of the what, and I want to tell you the why. Why would we spend time upgrading our facility? Simply put, to love people well and to serve them well with the gospel. Um, that's why we do this, that's why we have a facility to meet together to worship and also to be a blessing to the people of our community um, through the way we teach kids, through the way we meet with women's Bible studies, through the way that Red Cross comes in, versity Blood Drive comes in. There's so many ways our facility is used throughout the week and many people come into to contact with us through some experience here and we wanna serve people well and God has given us the ability to do that through making some very needed upgrades. So thank you for your patience during a long process where it's really like a game of dominoes, figuring out what goes where and when does it go there so that the installers can come in and do what they need to do. So thank you for your patience with that. And thank you for partnership with that. The second thing I wanted to let you know of is I, I found out literally about uh, 25 minutes ago that, um, that the Christophels family in our church had their baby on Friday. Her name is Edith Eleanor Christophels. Born Healthy Friday, uh, that would be the 21st, I think is what it was. So everybody's doing well. Thank you for your prayers for them as they adjust to another young one in their life. Uh, We are going to go to the scriptures right now, Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to be looking um, at a story, uh, and, and when I say story, I don't mean like once upon a time there was. Like, I mean, this is real people whom God really talked to, who he really engaged with. And it's it's an important story throughout the whole of scripture because it's going to be a story where we're going to find the name for the first time, Yisrael, Israel. So this is a very important marker within the Jewish people, but within our story as well. God set apart Abraham and his family to give them a nation, Um, to give them a blessing uh, and in a land, but to purpose them to be a blessing to the world. And of course, it's through them that we have the Messiah Jesus, who is the greatest blessing to the world. So we're engaging though in a real life story from the book of Genesis. And what I love about the stories in Genesis is that much like the rest of the Bible, we find out that the people in these stories are deeply real human people walking the earth. Sometimes we refer in theological circles to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as what are called the patriarchs because they're, they're the founding fathers of the Jewish people. Um, But what we find when we study the patriarchs is that they're deeply flawed and they're deeply in need of a God who redeems, rescues, and restores, kind of like you and me. And so let's go ahead and let's read um, together. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just read part of this with me. And then we'll kind of go through the story. Um, Out of respect for the reading of God's word, if you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the scriptures. Genesis chapter 32. We're going to begin in verse 24 and take it to the end. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket and, they, and as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. "'Your name will no longer be Jacob, Yaakov.' "'He said, "'It will be Yisrael, Israel, "'because you have struggled with God "'and with men and have prevailed.' "'Then Jacob asked him, "'Please tell me your name.' "'But he answered, "'Why do you ask my name?' "'And he blessed him there. "'Jacob named that place Peniel, "'for I have seen God face to face.' He said, and I have been delivered. The sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, limping because of his hip. That is why to this day the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that your spirit would lead and guide us into all truth. We recognize God as your word says, your spirit is our teacher. Reveal to us corporately and individually the truth that you have for us today. We thank you, God, for how our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, that we have a sure and constant anchor in our Savior as we have sung about this morning. We bless you, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Together we say, amen. Please be seated. So we have an interesting story going on here, and it's a story of wrestling. Uh, How many of you, maybe more as a kid, grew up as a wrestler? Okay, how many of you grew up as a kid wrestling with maybe your siblings or your cousins? We've got a couple more wrestlers in the house then, okay. I was never a wrestler per se, Except that I remember as a kid going at it, especially with my younger brother. You know, once, once, so my sister's three years older than me, my brother's like six years younger than me. Once my brother became old enough for me to dominate, I spent every moment I could trying to dominate. And because I was bigger, no problem. Uh, back in about 2010, we were on a family vacation down to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, for whatever reason, I decided and my brother decided we would bring back the old time wrestling. And so we went at it in this cottage in the mountains of southern um, Tennessee, southeastern Tennessee. Here's what I remember about this. Last time before this that I had wrestled my brother, he was shorter than me. Uh, this time, he's, he's about six foot four. He had a couple inches on me. Now, I still had weight on him, so I still had a little bit of leverage, but I couldn't pick him up and move him. Here's what I remember about the, the wrestling though. The first thing is, is um, the only one who got hurt in that experience was my brother. <laughs> um, he actually got some blood through a, um, through a skinned knee on a rug burn knee or something like that. But the other thing I remember is be very careful when you play with fire. Because where it used to be I could take him no problem, I realized this isn't a good idea going forward because he's now bigger and he's probably even now stronger than me. So that was the last time I remember wrestling someone at least my own size. As my kids get bigger, you know, we, we, we tussle around and stuff like that for fun. But, but I remember wrestling my brother. We're going to find in this story that Jacob is left alone and that he wrestles with someone. I love the way that Warren Wearsby, Pastor Warren Wearsby, um, describes how God meets Jacob. Here's what he says. He says, God meets us at whatever level he finds us in, in order to lift us up where he wants us to be. To Abraham, the pilgrim, God came as a traveler in Genesis 18. To Joshua, the general, he came as a soldier in Joshua chapter 5. Jacob, he says, had spent most of his adult life wrestling with people. Esau, his brother, Isaac, his father, Laban, his father-in-law, and even his wives. So God came to him as a wrestler. He comes to him as a wrestler. So the the word here for wrestle is actually interesting. It only occurs here in this passage, and it literally comes from a, a verb that means dust. So the idea of what Jacob is going to do on the banks of the Jabbok River is he's getting dusty with God. And one of the things that Jacob is going to learn is that through wrestling with God, he will experience blessing as he surrenders his life to the one to whom he is wrestling. In fact, Pastor Wiersbe, quoting him again, um, says this. He says, Jacob discovered that as, that he'd spent his life fighting God and resisting his will, and that the only way to victory was through surrender. Quoting A.W. Tozer, he says, The Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. God conquered Jacob by weakening him. It's really kind of an amazing thing to think about that strength comes through weakness. It's a message that goes throughout all of the scriptures. Paul will find, you know, the great apostle Paul in the New Testament, he will actually say, when I am weak, then I am strong. So what is it about this weakness? What, what is it about this wrestle that Jacob learns in the process of who God is and what God wants from him? And to help us understand that, we need to kind of get a scope. Maybe you don't know much about the story of Jacob, and so I want to give you just a brief background to the story of Jacob. Jacob is... Um, The the younger part of a set of twins. His older brother Esau um, is is the one who came out first. And so he is the one who gets the birthright, which means he's the one who gets the blessing in the family to carry on that family name. And he also gets the extra portion of material goods from his parents upon their death in order to carry on that family name. This family um, comes from the area originally of of the Haran area or the Padan Aram area, which will come in importance in our, in our study today. But they now live down here in the promised land where God had placed his people. So, so Abraham, he's called by God. God says, I want you to get up, I want you to go in Genesis 12. I want you to go to the place where I'm gonna show you, there I'm gonna bless you with a land, we're gonna bless you with a people, and I'm going to bless you in order that you will be a blessing to others. Abraham, by faith, gathers all his stuff, and he goes. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac is the father of these two sons. He, he marries his wife, Rebekah. And Rebekah also comes from this northern area. There's a whole story behind that we won't go into today. But she comes down to live with Isaac down here. As she comes down, they try to have kids. It's 20 years before they have kids. Isaac is 60 years old. And he's praying, God, would you bless my wife and help her to conceive? Because God has promised them a people. And so they're they're trying to hang on the promises of God. And they have these these moments of trying to do things their own way. And then being reminded it's not going to be that way that you're going to find blessing. It's only going to be by God's way. And so... As they go through this process, God blesses them in his timing with kids. Isaac is 60 years old. I can't remember how old Rebecca is, but they give birth. She gives birth. Let's be clear. She gives birth, not they give birth. Um, She gives birth to Esau and to Jacob. Jacob comes out second. Um, When they are born, actually before they are born, God reveals himself to Rebecca. Genesis 27 or so in there. And he says, you have two nations in your womb. And one is gonna be more powerful than the other. And the younger one is going to serve the older one. So as these kids come out, Rebecca has this telling from God that the second one, Jacob is going to be the one through whom there is going to be the passing on of the family name and the family inheritance and the family blessing. But what happens in their story is that quickly, it's actually interesting, and you can look this up later. It says in the text that Isaac and Rebekah, they named their firstborn son Esau. And it says that he, i.e. Isaac, named the second one Jacob. Now, now names have importance within the biblical story. The word Esau has this idea of of hairy. He came out kind of a hairy kid, apparently, and we know from later he he was a hairy guy. Um, And and he's a strong, independent, out-in-the-fields kind of guy. He's also a guy whom we learn through many um, instances in his life he despises the birthright and the blessing. In other words, he despises the spiritual heritage that he is the oldest would be expected to carry on on behalf of his family. He, so much so that he actually sells the birthright to his brother for a bowl of stew. That's how much he disregarded the birthright. Not only that, Esau volitionally goes out and he marries outside of the family. And, and the purpose of that, or, the, or the, the negative of that, is he's marrying outside the, the people who worship Yahweh. It's, it doesn't have to do with um, race, or it has to do with ethnicity, it has to do, he marries women who do not follow Yahweh, and that's a problem when you're trying to make a name for Yahweh in the context in which he has placed you. Um, Esau does that. That kind of hurts his parents quite a bit, and and that's part of his story. Jacob comes out second. He's the one whom God said, I'm going to make him the one who is the the greater, the the one whom his brother will serve. Jacob comes out, and and the name Jacob, Yaakov in Hebrew, means um, heel grabber, or it means supplanter. And Sometimes words or names are given to describe what a kid would do. So he actually comes out like grabbing his brother's heel. And that may be the reason why his dad names him Yaakov, Jacob. Um, But what Jacob actually does is he lives up to that name in spades because the rest of Uh, or not the rest of his life, but the first portion of his life is spent trying to strive after everything he can get. The blessing, he's trying to get the birthright, and he's trying to do some good things, but he's doing them all the wrong way to the point where he deceives his older brother when his father comes to give Esau the blessing. Now, the blessing was supposed to go to Jacob, but, Esau said, or, but Isaac says one day, he's like, I'm going to give this blessing to Esau. Rebecca hears about that. Rebecca gets involved, and together with her leadership, they go to try to get a blessing for Jacob. And in the... Um, Jacob gets to his father first. He tries to deceive his father by putting on his brother's clothing. Um, his father's basically deceived, and, and his father can't see, but he hears the voice, and he says, this is the voice of Jacob, but the arms are the arms of Esau. The smell is the smell of Esau. The How would you like to know that? Like, oh, I smell you. You must be my son, right? Um, <laughs> some of you can probably do that. If you have teenage boys especially. Um, anyways, sorry, I don't know where that came from. Um, but but so, so Isaac's about to give this blessing, but he's giving it to the wrong son. So Jacob gets the blessing from his father. He already has the birthright, which Esau sold him, but he gets the blessing that comes with it. And the way the blessing would work is that in the ancient period, you had, um, like if you had two sons, uh, a Uh, 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 the parents would separate their um, possessions into three parts. The oldest son would get the double portion in which to both provide for himself, but to carry on that family name, carry on that spiritual heritage. And then the younger son would get the single portion. So Jacob ends up getting from his dad, deceptively, an incredible blessing. The problem is, is he swindles his older brother out of this. Esau comes back, finds out, Isaac finds out that he'd blessed the wrong person, and, and chaos ensues, right? When we do things um, not God's way, chaos typically ensues. This is very true in family. You, you try to pursue the right, even the right ends via the wrong means, you will often experience the effect that that self-initiated decision brings with it and it's usually not pleasant. Anyways, so so Isaac and Rebecca are left with the situation. They've got their oldest son who is absolutely livid with the younger son. And Rebecca says, "We need to send Jacob away. He needs to go find a wife." up in this area of Padan Aram, where her family is from. So they send Jacob there. Rebekah sends him to save his life. Jake, or Isaac sends him in order to find a wife of their family heritage. Esau says, man, I want to kill him. So when Jacob leaves his brother for a 20-plus year stint in the northern part of um, the Middle East here, When he leaves his brother, he's leaving with death threats, and he's leaving with anger, and he's literally fleeing for his life. Where we find our story, that's all background, right? Um, Where we find our story here is that Jacob is now on his way home. It's been 20 plus years. Um, He married um, one gal. He thought it was going to be Rachel, but his father in law Laban swindled him and said, Nope, you're getting Leah. And then so he works seven years for Leah. He works seven years for Rachel. He works seven years. And it's over 20 years later, he comes back and God has blessed him. And God had promised to bless him. On, on the way out, they actually stopped at this place called Bethel. And God says to him, Here's, here's kind of a, a zoomed in shot of the area. Um, they're down in this area as a family. Bethel's a place where God meets him on his way out, going up and through here, all the way up to that northern part I showed you. And God says to him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. You need not fear. And Jacob, as he's coming back into the land, is reminded through a meeting with God in chapter 32 in the first couple of verses, where God says, hey, I'm here. This is my camp. And and, I, and Jacob, on his way out, had said, God, if I return, if I return to the land of my father and my mother, you will be my God. Up to this point, you've had um, instances where um, God has been described as the God of Abraham and Isaac. But we haven't yet seen God of Jacob he's a wrestler. He's wrestling with God. He's wrestling with what faith means. He's wrestling with what it means to follow God and to trust God and to trust God's promises and to trust God's plan, even when he doesn't know what that plan looks like, even when he is fleeing to try and save his skin. So, we come back to this, and we come to the story more proper. Now that you have an idea of where you are at in the story, um, we find in chapter 32, and we're not going to read all this, but we'll walk through some of the points here. In verse 3, Jacob is entering back into the land, and he says, Jacob's, and it says, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir. Just so you know where that's at, um, Right here. Um, so Mount Seir is down in here. So, so Ab- Abraham and Isaac are living in this area. Um, Esau in that 20 year period moves down here to the, uh, to the region of Seir. Jacob is coming back down and through here. But he sends messengers down here to tell his brother, hey, by the way, I'm coming back into the land. Probably a good thing, because they're going to have to meet at some point in time or another. So he sends his brothers into the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He commanded them, you are to say to my lord Esau, this is what your servant says. I've been staying with Laban and have been delayed until now. That's a mild way to put it. Um, I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female slaves. I have sent this message to inform my lord in order to seek your favor right he's wanting to be um graced in the presence of esau he's wanting to step back in not in the way he left He's trying to seek Esau's face is the Hebrew way to put it. In fact, to seek Esau's face is something that the text in the Hebrew um, actually comes back and says five times in this narrative. He's trying to seek Esau's face. He, he, he's wanting to Esau to look on him with grace. Notice what happens though. When the messengers, verse six, returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau. He is coming to you and he has 400 men with him. Now, the text doesn't say exactly why he's traveling with 400 men, but it does clearly say how Jacob feels about it. Verse 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So at least in Jacob's mind, he's saying, man, I have flocks and herds and people and family. I mean, if you've got donkeys and all this kind of stuff and and oxen and, and male and female servants, you have some some financial prowess. He's not poor as he's coming back in. So he has stuff, but Esau is coming at him with 400 men. If this were to go down to a wrestling match between him and Esau and their people, it's pretty assured that he's going to lose, right? Jacob, it says, was Greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people with him into two camps, along with flocks, cattle, and camels. He thought if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, the remaining one can escape. So he's thinking Esau is coming after me with all he has. He hasn't forgotten that 20 plus years ago, I swindled him. I deceived him. I deceived dad. I did something that was wrong. I, I did something, he says, that really befits my name. I supplanted. I grabbed at the heel. Instead of receiving what God wanted to give me, in God's timing and in God's way, I took. Verse 9 says, Then Jacob said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. Isaac. The Lord, Yahweh, who said to me, Go back to your land and to your family, and I will cause you to prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. It's interesting here. Jacob begins by going from hearing this news, being greatly afraid and distressed, separating the camp, but then he goes to prayer, right? It's interesting to me that he says, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. Surely he has heard the stories of how God had intervened on behalf of his forefathers. Is this God Yahweh? Is he personal yet to Jacob? We'll see. He says, go back to your land. Go, you, you said, God said, go back to your land, to your family. I will cause you to prosper. Verse 10, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown. This is a little bit of a different Jacob than perhaps we've seen before. Indeed, I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two camps. Please rescue me from the hand of my brother, for I am afraid of him. Interesting thing about that word rescue there. It's the word nazal in Hebrew. And when that word is used, most of the time, that's, that's a rescue that only God can bring. Please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid of him. Otherwise, he may come and attack me, the mothers and their children. You have said, I will cause you to prosper. I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. What do you, what do you notice when you hear a prayer like this? A couple things. First thing is is he's addressing Yahweh. Like he's addressing the right right, right person here. Uh, he's not he's not calling upon the gods of uh, his his father-in-law Laban, different set of gods. Not only that, he's recognizing Yahweh before you. I, like I'm unworthy. He says that I'm unworthy of the kindness and faithfulness you've shown me. And yet he goes back to God's word in his prayer. I I loved Tom's message last week talking about ways in which God does not hear or times in which God does not hear our prayers. Um, One of the surefire ways to be praying in the will of God is to pray God's word. That's what Jacob is doing. He's saying, God, you have said. He's not saying, God, I've been so good. I've learned my lesson. Jacob's prayer right here is not foremost about him. It is about him, but it's really not about him because he's recognizing or beginning to recognize his own sense of unworthiness before God. And yet he's proclaiming God's faithfulness in the midst of his situation. You have said, I will cause you to prosper. Verse 12, I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Now, he spent the night there, verse 13, and he took part of what he had brought with him and he sets this out for his brother Esau. And we can get a a, A glimpse of how much stuff he has. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their young 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. He entrusted these to his servants as separate herds, and he said to them, Go on ahead of me and leave some distance between the herds. And he told the first one, When my brother Esau meets you and asks, Who do you belong to? Where are you going? And whose animals are these ahead of you? Then tell him, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau. And look, he's behind us. He told the second one, the third, and everyone who was walking behind the animals say the same thing to Esau when you find him. You are also to say, look, your servant Jacob is right behind us, for, for he thought, and here's his motive right here. I want to appease Esau with the gift that is going ahead of him. After that, I can face him and perhaps he will forgive me. He, he's wanting to appease a. Esau, the the word appease here in Hebrew, it means to atone, it means to appease, or it means to make amends. So scholars look at this basically two different ways. Some people think that Jacob is going forward and trying to swindle his way or buy his way back into Esau's favor. Um, Some scholars think that, that one of the things he's doing here is he's trying to atone for what he had done 20 plus years ago. Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum. How about that for a last name? He takes the latter approach, and I'm inclined to take the latter approach as well, simply because he's trying to recognize I have done something wrong, and and in a Jewish framework, you know, he, he's seeking forgiveness. And one of the ways that he is modeling repentance is he's saying, "I have all this stuff." I need to make amends because I have wronged my brother and he's trying to show that. But here's my caveat. He is concerned with the face of Esau. Over and over the text says that he's concerned with the face of Esau. In fact, he says here in verse um, 20, I want to appease Esau with the gift that is going ahead of me. After that, I can face him and perhaps he will forgive me. That's a problem in one sense because as he's focused on the face of Esau, he's forgotten a more important face. He's forgotten a more important face that comes out in the text in the passage ahead. So as he's coming towards this, he's said, God, would you please rescue me? He sends these things ahead to Esau, hoping to cover his face or to cause him to be favorably inclined to make amends for this. And And he seems willing here to relinquish the material blessings of the patriarchal blessing in order to make amends with Esau, even though he's not able to to revoke this irrevocable blessing. Jacob had spent the last years of his life trying to figure out, how am I going to acquire things? How am I going to protect myself? And he seems to be coming to a point, right? Right? In this process, he seems to be coming to a point where he is ready to give up his own self-empowered strategies for walking after God. We find him here then, in the passage we read as our beginning, that he's at the ford of the Jabbok River. Uh, Rivers are important in geography. Geography especially in the ancient Near East, because they, they mark boundaries for things. And you'll notice in the text, he, he sends part of, every, well, he sends everything else over. Like he sends the flocks over, he sends the herds over, he sends the servants over, he sends both of his wives and all of his kids over. And as Jacob gets ready to go over himself, he actually stays on the side of the Jabbok. And as he stays on the side of the Jabbok, With just a few words, we find that he encounters God. Jacob was left alone, verse 24, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. We're not told yet who this man is. We're told later that, that, that Jacob says, I have struggled with God. Hosea chapter 12 also indicates to us that Jacob wrestled with God. So this, this is a pre incarnate uh, experience with the Messiah Jesus, I think, in, in this context. This isn't just an angel, he's actually wrestling with God. And there they wrestle. They wrestle until daybreak. They get dusty. And when the man saw, this is the. Um, this is the, the, the Lord. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket. And as they got dusty, as they wrestled, and he dislocated his hip. So the question is, is could he not defeat him? Literally, he goes, Phew! or maybe it was a blow. I don't know. But, but it says he can't defeat him. And he gives a blow. And now Jacob is crippled. But what I want you to notice is that while there's dominance shown here, like they've wrestled all night. Like if it was really about winning a battle, if it was really about ending the match quickly and moving on with life, I assume the Lord could do that. In fact, I'm sure he could do that. But here they wrestle all night. Jacob's hip is dislocated. And then he says to Jacob, Let me go for it is daybreak. Now, he's saying to Jacob, I, you know, he's just dislocated his hip, and he says, let me go. I, I've never dislocated a hip. I, I've every now and then gone out to run, and something didn't work the way it should, and I'm like, oh my word, my back, my hip, my leg, or whatever. When you're hurting, the last thing you're probably going to do is hang on to the person with whom you're wrestling. But here, the man says to Jacob, Jacob, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob says to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Remember, Jacob had spent most of his life seeking a blessing, namely the blessing of his father. And and Esau was the one to whom Isaac was going to give this blessing. Jacob swindles him out of this blessing, right? He gets the full blessing from dad. The the blessing that that he would have all the material goods that all of the people around him would serve him. It's an incredible blessing. And blessings back in the ancient period were not something that you went, oh, let me bless my kid. It was a a passing on that was carefully crafted that was intentionally phrased to say, here is what I'm bestowing upon you as the parental authority in this house. And not only that, it's it's a blessing that comes from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. And so it has divine power that comes along with that, which, of course, God had already promised to Jacob. But, But Isaac is passing this on to him. And here we find Jacob is seeking a blessing. Typically in the Bible, it's always the more powerful person who does the blessing right? Uh, that's not always the case, but most of the time that, that that is the case. So a father would bless a son. A king would bless a member of, the, of his royal staff. A, a conquering king would come in and give, you know, like another king permission to do something. What's going on here is Jacob is recognizing, I'm no match for the person whom I'm meeting here. And I don't think Jacob knows who he's meeting yet. All he knows is this person is more strong, sorry, more he's stronger, and he is more powerful than himself. But notice what the man says in verse 27. So Jacob has said, "I will not let you go." So he's hanging on for dear life. He's not letting go. And in verse 27, the man asks, "What is your name?" the last time, 20 plus years ago, that Jacob had been asked this question. He was asked this question by his dad, who was getting ready to give him a blessing. And it's interesting, if you go back and you read that story of how Jacob cheats his brother out of the blessing, he tries in several different ways to, to say that he's the one who should receive the blessing without saying he's Esau, but you come to the very end and his dad asks him point blank, are you my son Esau? And Jacob says, I am. So the last time he received a blessing, the parental blessing, the blessing that he had sought his whole life, he said, I am Esau. God says to him, what is your name? Because for Jacob to receive a blessing, to, for Jacob to receive a, a, a real blessing from God, he first has to reckon with who he is. Notice what Jacob says. It's very simple. Jacob. Can you imagine how much that would have taken for him to say? I'm looking for a blessing. What is your name? Who? I'm Jacob. I'm heel grabber. I'm supplanter. I'm the one who stole the blessing from my brother and swindled my father. I've been on the run for 20 plus years learning how to be swindled myself from really great swindlers in in my extended family. And he says, Jacob. But notice what the person does. Your name will no longer be Yaakov, Jacob, he said. It will be Yisrael, Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men, and you have prevailed. How did Jacob prevail? <laughs> he got a bum hip out of the deal. In fact, we're told that he glimpsed the rest of his life. How did he prevail? He prevailed in receiving a blessing he prevailed in receiving the most important blessing. Jacob asked, to him, asked him, please tell me your name. But the man answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Notice what Jacob learns. Then Jacob named the place Peniel, which could be translated face of God. For I have seen God face to face and I have been delivered. Yeah, So, nighttime wrestling, doesn't know who the man is, boom, hip socket out, what's your name? As he's receiving a blessing, I'm Jacob. What I love is that God changes his name. Naming is so important in the biblical text. When you name someone or something, in Hebrew culture, you are taking responsibility for them. So, when God names Jacob, he he, he, he renames Jacob. He says, your name is no longer heel grabber, supplanter. That's an old way of life. Now your name means Yisrael, and it means two ways you could translate it. Um, struggles with God is one way you could translate it. Um, the Jewish New Testament, or the Jewish uh, Tanakh commentary translates it as God strives. And I like both, Honestly. I like he struggles with God because we actually see in the story here that Jacob is wrestling, he's getting dusty with God. And he's coming to the end of himself. And in coming to the end of himself, he does not let go of God. What does it mean to wrestle with God? I think a lot of times we wrestle with God in ways in which... um, can be unhelpful. We, we wrestle against what God's will is. We wrestle against the sin we have in our life, and we wrestle in such a way because we think that it's gonna be in the other things, not God, in which we're going to find satisfaction. However, to wrestle with God in the Jacob sense, I think, means to come to the end of himself to find out that the best thing and the only thing to actually hold on to is God. Maybe you're facing something in your life. Maybe you're facing a health decision in your life or a vocational decision in your life. Perhaps you have a family issue going on in life and you're wrestling with the issue. Jacob had spent years, I would imagine, thinking, what's gonna happen when I go back to the land of my fathers and I have to face Esau again? Will he forgive me? What will he do? Will I be... But as he comes back in, he learns the only way, the only path to really experiencing victory in your life is to wrestle not with Esau, but to wrestle with God. It's God who brings change. It's God who brings redemption. It's God who brings mercy. And it's God who strives on behalf of his people when we pursue him with all we are worth. In fact, even in spite of when we don't pursue him with all we're worth, God passionately strives on behalf of us to bring us back to himself. Jacob is learning, I think, here that the best thing he can hold on to, I should say that differently, that the best person he can hang on to, even in weakness, is God. Because when he is weak with God, he is strong. Notice, too, I mentioned that he's been concerned with facing Esau. Five times in the text before, verse 30, it says that he's trying to seek Esau's face. He wants Esau to look upon him with with grace and all these kind of things. And he says, for I have seen God face to face. I think his fear of Esau has become secondary. Where he was afraid and distressed as he has sought God and as he has wrestled in the positive sense with God and he has learned dependence upon God through a hip transplant. He is learning what happens is what's going to happen. God has that under control. But I've seen the face of God and that is enough for me. Is seeing the face of God enough for you today? You and I have seen the face of God because God has revealed himself to us in the Messiah Jesus who came, who lived, who died, who rose again. And it's in him we find life and it's in him we find our purpose. It's in him that all these needs that we think we have And we do have needs for um, feeling capable and needs for feeling understood and accepted and approved. Jacob has been pursuing these things all of his life. And he's beginning to learn, oh, if I see the face of God, I can rest. We sang a lot about the love of God this morning. As I was cleaning out my office, as we've been redoing the offices, I found this sticky note underneath a bunch of stuff. And it was this, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it's from. I'm sure it was not original. And I wrote down, live like God loves you and that everything you read in the Bible is true. (laughs) What would happen if we lived as though God loves us because he does? And that everything he has written about us and about the world and about himself is true? I think we would see the face of God in our everyday walk. I think as we open the words of God we begin to see the face of God because we learn how he loves like we sang about this this morning could we with ink the ocean fill or were the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill every man a scribe by trade such beautiful language to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry how does god love he loves all in he gave everything for you for me he gave his son the greatest gift that we could ever receive to be our sin offering so we could have life so we could have purpose so we could seek stopping so we, so we could cease stop so we could cease finding approval and security in the things of this world and rather in the face of him It's interesting, though, because Jacob's story is is not yet finished, and I want to finish it for you because it's kind of a God story. So, like, Jacob goes through this, and we find that, you know, they left under bad terms. Genesis 33 says, now Jacob looked up, and he saw Esau coming toward him with 400 men. Apparently, the writer wanted us to remember there's 400 men coming with him. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, the two female slaves. He put the female slaves and their children first, Leah and her children next, Rachel and her Joseph last. Maybe a little bit of favoritism there. That will come back in a later story. Um, He himself went on ahead and he bowed to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. But notice what Esau does. Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him, kissed him, and they wept. In Hebrew, when you get these successive verbs, it's wanting to make a point. Like, if you were there watching this in slow mo, it would have been better than those videos where, like, you know, there's <laughs> this one video of a lion who had who was like a domesticated lion for a time, I guess. And you know, they they see their owner who had who had taken care of them during their like young lion days, and like, oh, everybody's crying. You're like, oh dear, this is like tearjerker right here. Esau ran. He didn't walk. He hugged. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. They wept. What do you think Jacob's thinking? My brother. He was worried about Esau forgiving him. We find in these actions through action Esau has forgiven. (laughs) Verse 5 When Esau looked up And he saw the women and the children. Who are these with you? (laughs) It's like when he saw Jacob from afar, he missed the whole entourage coming behind him because he's so focused on his brother. I can't explain a heart change in a person like Esau without God going before Jacob. And I don't know what Esau's spiritual condition is. The New Testament seems to indicate that, that perhaps he didn't have a very good spiritual condition with God. Um, That's for another time. But what I know is that what Jacob was afraid of as he sought the face of God, God went before him to bring shalom to. So much so that just a couple verses later, as Jacob is trying to give him stuff, Jacob says to him in verse 10, no, please, if I have found grace with you or favor with you, Take this gift from my hand, for indeed I have seen your face, but it is like seeing God's face, since you have accepted me. He says, please take my present, or the word there could be blessing, that was brought to you, because God has been gracious to me, and I have everything I need. What solved Jacob's family problems in this instance was not true grit, what solved them was seeing the face of God and responding to God's face. How do we respond to God's face today? I love the way one person said, he said, Jacob's deliverance was realized in seeing God face to face. It is the presence of God that brings wisdom, direction, and provision to our lives, which is not to say that we should be inactive in our walk. Rather, that our walk should be in obedience of faith instead of fear. Pastor Warren Weersby says, true faith is based upon God's word, Romans 10. And whatever we do that isn't motivated by faith is sin, no matter how successful it may appear. So how do we experience God's blessing in our lives today? What does it mean to experience God's blessing? I want to submit to you that the path of blessing, the path of God's blessing, the most important blessing comes through surrender. We see it in the story like this. Jacob admitted who he was. I am Jacob. I am unworthy. And he begins there. Without God, we are unworthy. And it may be today that that you don't have a relationship with God. The first step of your journey is recognizing that without God, you have nothing. But with God, you have everything. Everything. Jacob needed to come to a point here where he recognized without God, he was nothing. And in, even in the situation that he faced, without God, he couldn't face his brother. Without God's help and God's provision, he couldn't do that. But not only did he have to admit who he was without God, he had to yield his way to God, right? He had to be so consumed with the face of God and God's purposes and God's plans and God's character that, that serving Esau became a byproduct of his relationship with God, not of his own desire to achieve a restored relationship with Esau. And he needed to do what was right because it was right, regardless of how his brother would respond. So, admit who we are without God. Secondly, yield our way to God and replace our way for His way. And number third, or thirdly, uh, practice the obedience of faith. Right? Right? what is faith? Faith is believing that what God says is true and living like it. In fact, um, I'm I'm quoting Pastor Warren Wearsby a lot this morning because he's got some good stuff. He says in one of his commentaries, when faith is crowded out by fear, we are prone to start scheming and trusting our own resources. He tells a story of a lady who once said to Evangelist D.L. Moody. She said, "I found a wonderful verse to help me overcome fear," and she quoted Psalm 56:3, "When I am afraid, I will trust in thee." "I can give you a better promise," said Moody, and he quoted Isaiah 12:2, "Behold, God is my salvation; I will trust," which is an active living based upon God's word. "I will trust, and I will not be afraid." It's an amazing end of the story. And as we close, I just want to say, are you wrestling with God today? It's interesting when God names his people the Israelites. He doesn't name them. Uh, our tour group leader from Israel shared this with us a long time ago. It's interesting, he didn't name them as the Shalomites, the, the, the peaceable people. He didn't name them the Ahavites, the, the people of love. He named them Israelites people who struggle with God, but even more importantly, people who recognize that God strives on their behalf. My friends, God strives on your behalf for everything that is good and righteous and holy. He calls us to trust him to practice the obedience of faith. I don't know where your wrestle is with God this morning. It may have to do with past issues. It may have to do with present issues. It may have to do with sin issues. But here's what I know. God can take our wrestling. And in fact, the best place for us to be is to hold on and never let go of him. That's where you're going to experience blessing. That's where you're going to come to the end of yourself. That's where you're going to say, as Jesus says, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, God says. And all these things will be given to you. Be consumed with God this week. Trust him. He's capable. He's good. He's righteous. He's holy. And my friend, he is enough for you and for me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in our weakness you are strong. And God, we thank you that many of us probably feel pretty weak. Maybe God, some of us here today feel pretty strong. But I would pray that you would teach us the joy of dependence knowing that it's not by might or by power, but it's by your spirit that we are going to pursue all the things that you call us to do and to be in this world. And God, as we get ready to head out into a broken world, the task of loving people who perhaps don't love or even like us can be a hard one. God, we need your grace and we need your love to reflect that to them. God, as we head back into family situations and work situations and health situations, many times, Lord, we don't know where to turn. Help us to be faithful in the things you call us to, to to be obedient, to practice the obedience of faith as we engage with our employers and doctors and all these kinds of things. But God, help us to remember that the best place to be is seeking your face. As the psalmist says, your face alone I will seek. We want to be that kind of people this week, God. Help us. We thank you, God, for meeting us, for for your presence with us both here and throughout this entire week. As we go, remind us we are your ambassadors. Remind us that we have purpose and meaning in life to bear the name of Jesus before a broken and hurting world. We're not responsible, God, for the results, but we are responsible to proclaim as you lead and call us to. We trust you for that, God. We give ourselves to you again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at FBCZealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.